Oh, isn't it good to know we have an incredible heavenly Father's love that we can't even measure? Isn't that good to know? Oh, I'd say look at the person next to you and give them a high five, but I don't feel it's appropriate. I don't know. I'm trying to struggle with that right now. Well, thank you, brother. I, I hope that this morning, if you've woken up, you've had that opportunity uh, to start enjoying uh, the Father's Day, uh, anything that's going on, showing love and respect to your fathers. Or if you're a dad, you've gotten some love and respect shown to you. If not, hopefully today you'll see that, you'll sense that. Uh, and I'm going to say right now, it's a toss-up as to who gets more attention, Mother's Day or Father's Day. Right? It's, and maybe there, maybe it's not a toss-up. Um, sometimes I think moms get the better gifts, don't they? And more attention, which is well-deserved. Well-deserved, okay? Dads, we're okay with the leftovers. I've learned that. You know, when you didn't eat all your stuff as a kid, dad ate it, right? And I learned to do that with my kids until they got to a certain age, and then there's nothing on their plates left. Um, but Mother's Day, obviously, is first on the calendar, and Father's Day is soon afterwards, so that's, that's fine. Moms will give you that attention. I'm not complaining, okay? I'm just saying, I, I think, guys, we, we appreciate the attention, so a simple gift is fine, okay? Now, we know with moms that's not true, right? If, if moms are like, oh, you don't need to do anything, that's fine. Gentlemen, do not listen to the lie, Okay? It will be something scarred forever. You know, they will never let you forget. Oh, remember last year when you didn't give me anything? Um, well, I say that having fun with that because, again, there's a difference between men and women. Amen? Oh, that's a biblical truth. You can say amen to that. And that's why we're taking this summer to, to focus on relationships. And next week, Pastor Landon is going to be preaching it's his last Sunday here that he's going to be preaching. And so he's going to sort of divert from the relationship topic. Then we'll come back to it the following week. Um, but when you consider the, just the natural differences between men and women, right? And then our, uh, yeah, throwing the, uh, the ability of our sinfulness, there is going to be conflict in our life, isn't there? It doesn't matter just the fact that we're different or that there's sin in our life, but we know that these things cause strains. Uh, they cause tension, which leads to conflict. And it's, and here's the thing, it's not if there's going to be conflict in your relationships, it's when there will be conflict in your relationships. Um, so our plan is to study God's word. Let's open up God's word and find the solution to these problems, to these tensions, to these strains. And God's word always provides insight. God's word always provides direction to help us in dealing with things such as relationships. Last week, I laid down the foundational truth that our conflicts, our relationship problems cannot be fixed, cannot be restored until you first have your relationship restored with God. Until our relationship with God is restored and fixed, everything else horizontally with each other is going to be difficult. You just can't. On our own, we just can't. We need the help of, of God's Holy Spirit to work in us, to work through us in our relationships with one another. And we know the truth 
uh, about who God is and his relationships. And we looked at that, and I'll throw this on the screen real, real quick. Well, we said that God created relationships. God values relationships, and we established that last week. We, we were created for relationships. God made that clear in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 22. It says that man was created, what? To not be alone, right? We were created to be in relationship with others. God created all these wonderful things. All of creation, it was good, it was good. After every day, he said it was good, it was good. And the first time God said something was not good in the Bible was where? When he said that man was alone. He declared that not good. Up to that point in time, everything else was really good. The first time we hear God get negative is when man is alone. That's not good. So God created woman. But more important, he created husband and wife, right? And then as the relationship started to go through the Bible, we see the parents and the childs and, and people who worked together, people who, who fought together in, in cities and nations and, and so forth. But the ultimate relationship that God begins with in the Bible is our relationship with him. That's the, that's the most incredible relationship where it all begins. And we must have that relationship with him. Exodus chapter 34, verse 14. We talked about that scripture very brief last week. But again, how God is a jealous God. He wants that relationship with us. He doesn't want anything to get in between that relationship between you and I and him, right? Nothing. Problem is, a lot of things get between us and God, and he doesn't want that. This relationship with God that he wants to have with us, too, is not a contract. It's not a certificate that you sign. It's not a handshake agreement. It is more than that. It is a covenant relationship, a sacred pledge based on trust between two parties. And in our relationship with God, we said that people, we are the blessed recipients of his blessings. When we be into into a covenant relationship with God, he blesses us. If we obey him, he blesses. If we disobey, there's curses, what we read through the Old Testament, right? That disobedience to God began when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. And ever since then, our intended relationship with God was destroyed. And so as we go through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, a new covenant relationship is made. We're in that relationship with God. We enjoy the benefits of God. And I use the illustration of the airplane that when you step outside of a relationship with God, it is dangerous. We were created to be in a relationship with God. We soon discover that our covenant relationship with God then directly affects our covenant relationship with one another. If you've got a relationship with God, I've got a relationship with God, we have a relationship with one another. But again, when my relationship with God is broken, my relationship with you will most likely be broken as well. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5 on the screen says, just as our body has many parts, and each part has a special function, that's What's, what is that right there? That's the physicality of life, isn't it? Fingers connected to your hands, hands connected to your arm, many parts, but they work together. The brain is telling me to wave to you, right? It all works together. But then Paul goes on to say this, so it is with the body of Jesus Christ. We are many parts, but one body. We belong to each other. 
Paul says just like the physicality of life is spiritually is the same way. We are many parts, but we function as one body. When a member of this church is going through a tough time, the rest of us should feel pain for that member. When a member of this church is celebrating something incredible, we should be joyful along with that member of the body. We pray for one another. We encourage one another. We walk in this new covenant together. And when I mess up, the rest of the body is hurt as well. I used this illustration years ago about two men that were fishing in a boat. And they got out into the middle of the lake. And the one man cast his reel on. He was fishing away. And the other man took his fishing rod and he set it down. And he pulled out a drill. And he started to drill into the seat of his boat. And the guy at the fishing pole looked at him and said, what are you doing? Drilling a hole in my seat. Said, well, I know, but why are you doing this? He goes, it's my seat. And the guy's like, yeah, but it's our boat. Isn't, don't we do that in life? It's my life. I'll, I'll do what I want to do. I get that, but your life affects the whole body. Just that it affected two men in the boat. Oh, it might have been his seat, but it was their boat. Now their boat is going to sink. Our new life in Christ is a covenant relationship with God and it affects everyone around us. So if we want to have better marriages, better relationship with our kids, better relationship with our parents, better relationship with our siblings or our coworkers or our teammates, it begins with having a better relationship with God. Understanding that covenant relationship. So today, I want to specifically challenge the men. And ladies, don't check out, okay? Um, there are some biblical truths in here that you need to hear as well. But men, I want to encourage you just to tune in, please. Because it, it seems like we hear this and we hear this often, okay? That <clears throat> the relationships is something that women are more wired for than men. Don't you agree? Is, I'm, I hear that all the time, the generalization that women are wired for relationships, men are not. Just look around. Simple thing, going to the bathroom. Men, we just go on our own. Ladies, it's an event. Everybody goes, okay? I, have no, I don't want to know what's going on, but it seems it's just relationally connected. We are so different relationally. If, if four ladies, let's say Alexa, Jen, Karen, and Jenny, go out to eat together, <clears throat> they will sit around together and they will affectionately call each other. Alexa, Jen, Karen, and Jenny. Now, if Landon, Dave, Mike, and I go out to eat, we'll probably sit around and call each other, you know, peanut breath, dork, loser, and uh, bone, you know, I don't know, bonehead, bullethead, something, I don't know. We all come up with names for each other, nicknames, right? Isn't that the way it works relationally? We are so different. And it's true that we are relationally different, but we were created for relationships. And men, this is something where we've got to learn to get better at in the relationships. And let me say it again. We were created in God's image with a specific design and purpose. And I think we would agree that Adam being alone was not good. God declared that one. But we don't read about Adam complaining why he was alone. Did you ever... See that when you look in Scripture? If you looked into Genesis chapter 2, we don't read that Adam was sitting around saying, Hey God, I'm really lonely. I'm so depressed right now. If I just had a helper, if I just had a woman, he didn't know what a woman was yet, right? 
He didn't need somebody to erase his depression or loneliness. He didn't need a friend. You know why? Because the garden was perfect. He already had a relationship with God. He was in paradise. What else could he want? What else did he need? So when we read this, it wasn't like, why was he alone? Did you ever ask that question? Why did God create woman? Adam wasn't complaining. Turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Genesis chapter 2. It's the first book in the Bible. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. Genesis chapter 2. From the very beginning, as we're reading here, it's important to know as, as you go through Scripture to go back to the beginning. Sometimes we get very confused where people are today. We need to go back to the beginning. Look at Genesis chapter 2. The Lord said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. God created what? A helper. An aid. Have you ever asked, well, what did Adam need help with? Well, ladies, you'd probably say, directions, cleaning, cooking, picking up after himself. He probably left fig leaves all over the garden, Right? <laughs> I don't know. But look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Go back a chapter. It says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Man was created to recreate, to fill the earth, to have dominion over the things of the earth. Basically this, we are to care for what God created and to fill the earth. And the woman was created to help. But here's the problem. There's always a problem, isn't there? Genesis 3 comes along. Sin enters the world. And totally messes up the relationship and, and who's to do what and the roles. Adam and Eve sin. They try to cover up their shame they blamed each other. They blamed God. So God announces the curse of sin upon man and upon woman and even on the serpent. God declares that with sin entering the world, there is now a war. And it's going to get messy. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. If you're in Genesis chapter 2, just one page over. Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 to 15, it says this. Remember, God is talking to the serpent here. He says, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly. You will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. See, there is a war with us and sin. Enmity between the serpent and mankind. But God also declares, he also predicts and prophesies that the war is going to be won by God in the years to come when Jesus comes and crushes the head. All the way from Genesis references what Jesus is going to do thousands of years later. It's pretty amazing. And it's important for us to understand 
that we are daily picking up our spiritual armor, that we are daily facing a spiritual battle. We fight to, to make the right choices, to say the right things because it's so hard. It, we, we fight to follow God's direction, his path. He says, walk this way. And it's so easy for us to want to walk another way. There's a battle that's going on. And to choose faith in Jesus Christ is so important, right? To follow God's word is so important, right? And it's true, parents, we must raise our children in such a way that they choose to place their faith in Jesus Christ. That is what we're called to do as parents, right? Let's raise our children up because someday they need to make that choice to place their faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation for our kids is imperative, but parents, listen here. It doesn't stop there. We must also help them develop an attitude of waging war against the ways of this world. It isn't just about, I just need to get saved. We also need to help our children understand this. The ways of the world are against you. John 10.10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, but I've come to give life and give it abundantly. Parents, we must be aware that our opponent... Children, youth, teens, you need to be aware. You've got an opponent that wants to destroy you. School shootings, teenage suicide, eating disorders, pornography, eating away at our children right now. You want to know why? To destroy them. That is sin that just destroys you. And Satan stands back and applauds and says, I'm winning. But we know this, he isn't. We know back in Genesis 3, what did God say? I'll crush his head. And he did when Jesus Christ died on a cross and rose from the dead. He won. Victory has been secured. But today, until Christ returns, we still are at war spiritually. The function of the Christian family is not primarily to make sure everybody's happy. I want my kids to be happy. I want their self-esteem to be up. We're going to meet goals, right? Those are good things, but that's not what we were created for. Men, we have, listen carefully, men, we have the DNA within us to want to conquer and rule. Absolutely, right? You know where that came from? The garden. When Adam was placed in the garden, he was placed there for what? To have dominion over things, to take care of things, to rule. And a woman came along then to what? To help us. It started in the garden where we were given that authority. So today, we like to conquer. Don't we, men? Whether it's fixing something, don't we feel good after we've accomplished a task? There are some days where my, my work that I do in ministry doesn't require that my hands get dirty. So I will look around for a job to do just so I feel like I got something done. Does that make sense? That's why men like winning championships or reaching a new level on a video game. Yes, conquered, right? It's in us. It's in our DNA. But greater than conquering something physically, God has called us to be, <clears throat> excuse me, conquerors spiritually. Spiritually. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31. I'm going to read some of the verses and the verses following. It says this, what then shall we say in response to these things? Listen to this next verse. If God's for us, <laughs> who can be against us? Isn't that a great verse? Verse 32 goes on to say, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, 
and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Trouble? Hardship? Or persecution? Or famine? Or nakedness? Or danger? Or sword? No, 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 no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. I've shared this with you before. In that verse, Romans 8, more than conquerors. The Greek word is hypernikeo. And that's not really how you correctly pronounce it. But it's two words put together. Hyper and nike. Nikeo. Hyper means above than, greater than. Nike was the goddess of victory that they worshipped back in Paul's day. Nike. We still worship today, right? So back in that day, people were like, we're going to worship Nike and get victory. And Paul says, no, no, no. In Christ, you're bigger than Nike. You're bigger than this false goddess of victory. In Christ, you are victorious. That's what Paul tells us. And here's the thing. Our kids right now are engaged in warfare, just as we are. But them even more so, I believe. Every time they walk into a school hallway, into a locker room, turn on the TV, pull up their phones, the prince of this world schemes a way for them to be deceived and destroyed. He wants our children defeated. So men, we lead the way in helping our children win in spiritual battles. And praise God that he said, I'll give you a helper, the woman. Because together, men and women can work together to help win this spiritual battle, a battle that Christ has already won, right? But what specifically do we know about the role of men or specifically maybe, in this case, the husband? So let's begin with clarifying who we are. If I were to ask you this question and you sort of repeat it to yourself, okay, you ready for this one? Who am I? Now repeat that question to yourself. Who am I? How do you answer that? When you greet somebody, you walk in the room for the first time, like, hey, I'm Rex, I, oh, and I'm, you know, Mike, and we start having this conversation, and what does it usually lead to next? What do you do with your life? What's your job? What's your vocation? Right? We talk about those kind of things. Oh, I'm a pastor, I'm a ministry leader, I write, I, I'm a coach, I'm, I'm a dad. You know, you start going through all these titles in your mind. Titles and accomplishments, right? Here's the thing. Titles and accomplishments describe you. They do not define you. But a lot of men look for titles to define them. That's not, that's not the right way to do it. Titles and accomplishments describe you. They do not define you. These are the things we do to help others where we want people to acknowledge us or listen to us because of my title. If I walked in here and today and I said, or I maybe announced I was going to go to a church somewhere or to a school somewhere and said, hey, I played football for the Ohio State Buckeyes and I helped win a championship against Alabama. You know how many people would show up to listen to me? Thousands. Now, if I announced, hey, uh, I'm Rack Stump and... Uh, I just want to let you know I come, I'm going to talk about how I defeated an addiction in my life. You know how many people are going to show up to listen to me? Maybe hundreds, maybe. Isn't that amazing? Why is that? Because today we value accomplishment greater than spiritual victory. We, we like that exterior accomplishment of, of these titles, right? Compared to what's going on in our lives spiritually. And I get it. It's unfortunate that that is that way. But it is. So I'm going to back up and ask the question again. 
Who am I? What is my role in life? What did God design me for? To make money? To grill burgers? To help my wife? Those are probably all good things, right? But it's more, right? What's the center of our calling? And I'm speaking specifically now to the men. Men, why did God create you? What is your specific role in life? What if I said it was dominion? What if I said your home is your garden of Eden? Our home is a central responsibility to man. Not to have dominion as maybe we would define dominion today to like a conquering dictator who destroys things along the path of being number one. Not that kind of dominion. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at starting in verse 21. Ephesians 5, verse 21. Here's the thing about Ephesians. Chapter 4 is, is, it sort of talks about the spiritual life, how your life is, is spiritually driven. And chapter 6 talks about a spiritual warfare that's going on. And in between being a spirit-filled life and a spiritual warfare is chapter 5, and it has to talk about relationships. And we discover here the role of the husband. And Ephesians 5 is where God shows how marriage is a picture of relationship of Christ to the church. And that role of the husband extends into how he not only treats his wife, but the rest of his family. And it is from this scripture that I want to encourage us today how we as men can live and how, ladies, you can encourage us along the way. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. Verse 28. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body. But they feed and they care for the body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, I read this passage yesterday at a wedding, and it's always good direction for the husband but it is also good direction for the man. And the man is in this passage is told twice as much how to treat his wife as the wife is to treat the husband. As if Paul's saying, I want to talk to you both, but men, I need to talk to you even louder. And in this passage, men are told to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And when I hear that, that sounds like sacrifice, right? When I think of the love of Jesus Christ, I think of his sacrifice on the cross. So me, I picture jumping in front of my wife in front of a bullet. You know what I'm saying? It's like somebody shooting, I'm like, no. You know what I'm saying? That's the picture I have here when I think of to love my wife as I would love Jesus Christ. That kind of sacrifice, okay? But there's more to it than this. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? Did you ever ask that question? Maybe we just read this as a command. This is what I'm supposed to do. But did you ever ask why? Well, the answer is right in the scripture. The answer is in verse 26 and 27. Why am I supposed to love my wife like Jesus loved the church? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I understand this. Salvation and sanctification is the work of God and God alone. But he allows us to assist in helping that sanctification take place. We are to help in the process of sanctifying our wives and children. And what does that look like? Take it to another passage. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9, verses 24 to 28. Let me read this. Hebrews is just a little bit further beyond where you were in Ephesians. It says this, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. Listen, Jesus Christ entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence, verse 25. Nor did he enter into heaven to offer himself again and again the way a high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that's on his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he's appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once, after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. You might want to go back and read this scripture again because in this scripture what we discover is that throughout Jewish history, God had instituted three offices that were vital to the Jews. Prophet, priest, and king. The role of a prophet was one who represented God to the people. The role of the priest was to represent the people to God. And the king was to rule over the people. We see those three offices throughout Old Testament with different people. But Jesus Christ came to fulfill all three of those offices. And then what we find out in this scripture in Hebrews are the ways in which Jesus did this. This was a foreshadowing of the promised Messiah. In verse 26, we read that Christ appeared once for all the culmination of the ages to do away with the sins of the sacrifice of himself. Listen, 2,000 years ago, what happened 2,000 years ago in this little town of Bethlehem? You remember what happened? Jesus came, right? Virgin gave birth to a son, and they will call him Jesus, and he will what? He will save his people from their sins. He was the fulfillment of Isaiah and Matthew. He would be God with us. Christ came representing God before men. He was a prophet in that sense. In verse 24 we read, He entered in heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Jesus Christ right now is in the presence of God. Such as the priest would go and make the sacrifice. He would go into the Holy of Holies time and time again, taking the sins of man 
and asking for forgiveness. Jesus Christ did a once and for all sacrifice. He went on the cross, died, buried, rose again. His sacrifice was the last sacrifice ever made. The ultimate sacrifice. And he didn't stay in the grave, did he? He rose from the grave, just as he said he would. And he ascended into the heavens. He's in the presence of God now. He is our heavenly priest. And as our great priest, he has provided a way of salvation for us. Finally, verse 20, it says, He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. He appeared the first time as a prophet to his people, and then he went to heaven to be a priest for his people, but then he's coming again to be our king. Someday Jesus Christ will return, and he will be our king of kings. Some glorious day. We don't know when, but we need to be ready. Amen? Christ is our prophet, priest, king, and there's no way we can do what he has done. But in Ephesians 5... We are told to love our wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? As a prophet, as a priest, and as a king. And if I was to love my wife in the same way, that means this. To love as Jesus loves as a prophet, I represent God, right? So I bring to my wife and to my kids the word of God. I'm like God's lawyer. I come before them, and when they mess up, and I mess up too, right? But when they mess up, I am to help remove those spots of blemish. I can't bring salvation. God's done that. But what I do is I bring God's word, and so when my children disobey, I remind them, you know what God's word says about this, guys? This is what God's word says. So I bring God's word into the picture, into my family, to wash them. And when my wife is struggling, maybe she's anxious and she's worrying. I, as a man, should be opening up the Bible and saying, you know, Jesus talks about worrying right here. He says not to worry. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything but in prayer and supplication. See, as a man, I, like the prophet, bring God's word into my home, into my family, into those I have relationship with. And to love as Jesus loves as a priest, what does that mean? That is to speak to God for the people, right? That's what a priest did. The priest would go to God on behalf of the people. I am to go to God on behalf of my wife, my kids, and those I have relationship with. Men, are you praying for your wife? Are you praying for your kids? Are you praying for those you have relationships with? To love as Jesus loves, as he did as a priest, means that I am to love my family by praying for them and lifting them up to God. And finally, to love as Jesus loves as a king, well, we can do this one, right, guys? (laughs) We can definitely rule like kings in a house, right? Our scepter is our remote. Our throne is our lazy boy. And we rule our house well, don't we? Well, it's bigger than that. It's responsibility. If you were to take a cruise, I've never been on one, but I understand this, but if you go on a cruise, the captain of the ship is responsible for everybody that works. All the employers on that ship, the captain oversees. And when they're on waters, it is their own little kingdom out there. And he's responsible for everything. If there's something bad on the buffet line, you know who gets in trouble? Not just the chef. It goes back to the captain. You are the captain of your ship, men. 
If something goes wrong in your home, you know who the responsibility falls back on? Oh, not your kids. Maybe they made the bad choice. Not your wife. Maybe she wasn't thinking clearly. It's you. It comes back on us. As the father, as the husband. What an incredible responsibility we have as men to love as Jesus loved. To extend that love to our children, that is scary. That is big. And it's probably overwhelming for a lot of us. But here's the beauty of this. You don't do it alone. You are not alone in this task. You know why? Because God said it's not good to be alone. So I'm going to create a helper. He created a woman. So for those who are married, men, your wife is your helper, your aid to encourage you as you lead in this way. If you are not married, then you have relationships with other people who are able to come along and aid you. But you want to know the greatest aid that each of us have, regardless whether you're married, you're single, whether you're a mom or dad or not, a child, the greatest aid you have is God's Holy Spirit. He walks with you every minute, every moment, say, I will help you love. I will help you in doing what you need to do. To honor me. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And as they're coming forward, I want to take us back and remind you of this. My relationship with other people is never going to be perfect. I will try my hardest to love those in my life, especially my wife and kids, as Christ loved the church. I will try to Make sure that they know what God is saying is like the role of the prophets who say, this is what God wants and I want to lead in the godly way. But also I want to pray for them. I want to take them to God. And then I want to rule over them, understanding it's my responsibility for the decisions are made. And I want to encourage them, but I want to rule not as a dictator, but as one who loves his kingdom. And I don't have to do it alone. Because God's spirit is right there with me. You know why? Because my first relationship is with God. If that is right, then this is going to be a lot easier to make right. Amen? Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're an incredible God. And God, I, I know as we looked into Scripture today, as we talked about what is the role maybe of a man or a husband, God, I know this. Our relationship with you has to be established first. But God, speaking as a man, knowing that my relationship with you is secure, I know now from your word that that love that you have for me, I need to take that love and now love others. Our love is going to be inconvenient at times. There's going to be times it's going to be hard to love people, but I'm called to love them. And there's going to be times when, when I'm, I'm going to fail in representing you and taking my family and, and those I love to you in prayer. And there's going to be times I don't want to rule. I just want to relax. So God, I'm going to need help. I'm so thankful that you give your Holy Spirit to help. So God, I pray for this church that you will help us to love as you've loved us. Thank you, Lord, again, for loving us in an incredible way. Let that love spill over now as we love one another.
We sing to you, Lord, with our hearts, our soul, our mind. As we sing to you, Lord, let's remember you are one amazing Father. In the precious name we pray, amen.